Welcome to Well With Blue, the podcast that's less of a show and more of a heart to heart with me, your friend and health coach, Azul. Each week, I'll share my best self-care tips with you, and together, we'll redefine what a healthy life looks like and improve the most important relationship in our lives, the one we have with ourselves, so that we can get out of our own way and live the life we want and deserve. This is the real and unfiltered side of wellness and personal growth, so cozy up, my friend, and let's chat. Did you know that emotions are to blame for overeating an estimated 75% of the time? That's a big chunk. Did you also know that there are different types of emotional eaters? Let me give you some examples. There's the celebratory eater, the sad eater, angry eater, unfulfilled eater, stressed eater, sedated eater, punishing eater, and the list goes on. In the book Intuitive Eating, they describe a continuum of emotional eating in the sense that it could be harmless to it can be very destructive and really intense. And they specifically identify five different types of emotional eating that lie on this spectrum. So we're going to go through each briefly, starting with the lowest intensity to highest intensity. So lowest intensity is sensory gratification. This is your eating for enjoyment and for pleasure. And this is really normal and it can be really encouraged, especially as you start to make peace with food. The second one is comfort. And this is when we eat foods that help comfort us during a really stressful time, like comfort foods, right? This is again also normal and can be really helpful if this is the only way that you know how to comfort yourself in the moment. Number three is distraction, and this is when you eat to procrastinate. When you don't want to do something and you end up eating to procrastinate, this can be out of boredom. We kind of call this mindful eating. Eating to distract yourself from feeling uncomfortable things. We um, use food as a temporary relief. But it doesn't generally fix what you're avoiding, so it kind of starts to become unhelpful. Next, we've got sedation, and this is numbing. This is eating to numb out, and this generally, it's kind of like distraction, but this is when we start to get into like uncomfortably full period. So you're eating to numb out, which means you're eating to you get so uncomfortably full that that's quite literally the only thing that you can think about. And again, this can this can be seen as helpful helpful in the short term, especially if you're in dealing with things like intense trauma, right? We would let, rather you sedate with food than you know other things. But if you find that you're doing this, if you feel find that over time you are always eating until you're uncomfortably full, right? It ends up being not helpful because we're not finding other ways to cope with what we're feeling or to cope with the drama. And, you know, we would obviously recommend that you speak to a professional so that you're not constantly just trying to escape it or put a Band-Aid on it, but instead you're actually dealing with what's going on while in the interim you're using food to help you cope. And the last one is punishment and this is when this is when it truly becomes destructive and this is when those feelings of shame and guilt and frustration then make you use food more to punish yourself in that like really aggressive way and it generally leads you to feeling worse about yourself. So this is when maybe you've already used food for 
one of the other things, the comfort, the distraction of sedation, and you are angry and mad at yourself and therefore you kind of go into the, you know, what we call the fuck it mentality and you get so angry with yourself that you kind of aggressively continue to eat as a way to punish yourself. So that's obviously the most intense one and that is the most destructive one. And this is all to say that emotional eating is a bit more complex than we used to think, right? And I, you know, a little personal antidote, I once also thought it was really simple to stop emotional eating, right? I'm just going to get rid of all the food in my house, right? Or I'm going to start a new diet or I'm going to try and muster up the willpower to not emotionally eat anymore, right? And guess what all those things did? If you guessed made it worse, then you are right. (laughs) And that's because emotional eating is an emotional problem. And emotional problems need emotional solutions, not food solutions. So getting rid of the food in the house, starting a new diet, trying to muster up the willpower to not eating, eat certain things anymore, aka restrictions, are all food solutions. They're not emotional solutions. You cannot treat emotional problems with food solutions, aka hiding food, dieting, restricting, all the things. To heal your relationship with emotional eating, you have to, one, recognize the feelings that you're running away from, and two, understand that feelings are a compass. There are no good or bad feelings. They are all neutral and they all they all have the answers to what you need in that moment. And when you stop running from them, you can learn how to use them to your advantage. Now, regardless of the type of emotional eating you might be engaging with, what triggers emotional eating in the first place is emotions. <laughs> so we're going to take a look at some of the most common emotions with some examples that um, may have triggered, may trigger emotional eating. So the first and most common one is boredom or procrastination. Either or, they're kind of the same, right? And this is, again, trying to put off something that you don't really want to do in the moment or, you know, needing to take a break because you're overwhelmed and anxious and that break just happens to be the kitchen or a food break or a snack break, right? This could be, you know, you're at the office, you're staying at a blank screen, you have a big project to do and you get really overwhelmed or you need to study for something and you don't want to, you get overwhelmed. You have to do your taxes and you don't want to, you want to procrastinate, you go to the kitchen, right? Some things that you can do perhaps instead is give yourself a little stretch break, go outside for a walk, maybe one of my faves, clean the house, (laughs) just don't go overboard with it. You can listen to a really motivating YouTube video, that's sometimes fun to do. You can, you know, phone a friend maybe, ask for some advice if you're getting overwhelmed. You can ask a coworker if you have one for help delegating, break things down a little bit more. Those are things that would actually help the boredom procrastination, not actual food. The second one is soothing. We use food to soothe, to relax, to give us comfort, right? And if you're especially super structured or type A, 
food can also become a way to relax and to let go. And it also could be, you know, if you if you deal with a lot of anxiety, if you do a lot of stress, some people eat or not eat as a result. So what can you do instead to start soothing yourself in a way that doesn't involve food? You can do a breathing exercise. You can do it on your own. There are also a bunch of ton of apps that are really great. A guided meditation or a silent meditation. You can do something relaxing like cuddling with a partner if they're home. If you have a pet, I love a weighted blanket or like a warm pack during the winter can feel really good. Setting a little timer, taking a shower or a really nice bath. Again, walking outside, yoga. I really like to bake. Baking and cooking can be really soothing for me. So I like to do that. Playing with smells. So getting into sensory stuff like essential oils or a candle. Maybe doing a little candle meditation is really nice. Putting on some really relaxing music. I love environmental changes. So things like smells and music to really bring your nervous system down. I sometimes like to scroll through my phone and look at photos that um, that remind me of places I've been or experiences that I've had or people that I love and that sometimes helps me get into a better place. If you're creative and you like to draw or paint or sculpt or anything like that, taking a little break to do that. Putting on a great song and dancing. <laughs> um, drawing is another one. I think I said that one already. But anything that'll help calm you down, that'll help soothe you. The next one is connection. This one's, you know, this they're all, all obvious, but this one's really obvious, right? We use food to connect with people, especially depending what culture you come from. I think most cultures use food to connect, whether it's birthday cake, whether it's dinner with a friend, coffee with a friend, um, uh, yeah, all of those, right? And so how about... You know, continuing to do that I think is amazing, but bringing in some, let's call it creativity, to how you spend quality time with others. This could be just watching a movie together. This could be doing, um, what's it called, like a board night. I love when my friends and I do board nights. I think it's so fun. Um, doing something fun like an experience on Groupon or a new exercise class or going for a new hike. A puzzle. I personally don't love puzzles, but I know people that love puzzles. Airbnb has really cool experiences, right? Uh, going to the beach, going to the mountains, or something, you know, closer by. There's so much to do, especially if you live in the city. So just getting a little bit more creative with how you connect to others. And if you don't have anyone around you and you're looking for connection, texting a friend or calling a loved one. Things like that to make you feel connected to the outside world, especially if you work home alone like I do. <laughs> okay, the next one is reward. We all do this or have done this, right? Giving yourself food as a reward for something that you did, right? If I complete X amount of workout classes or if I finish this by the deadline, whatever that might be. This also is can go the other way where it's using food as a reward to do something you don't want to do, right? So like one of them's a reward for doing something that you did and the other one's a reward for 
they were kind of the same thing. I just worded it differently now that I think about it. Anyways, there are plenty of other ways you can reward yourself, right? Um, booking a facial or a manicure or a massage, purchasing something that you've wanted, maybe holding off on buying something until you do said thing. Exercise classes can be really fun, right? I think also there are external rewards and then internal rewards. And I think as a society, we've kind of gotten really used to external rewards and we don't practice enough of those internal self rewards. So instead of having to buy yourself something every time you do something well, how about we celebrate by just recognizing a job well done, patting ourselves on the back, being really excited, being able to amp up that celebratory energy without having to buy something all the time, right? Telling a friend about it, celebrating with a friend on the phone, yay, you know, things like that. Okay, frustration and anger. This is the last one. So this could be eating out of anger like we talked about before, can be a little bit destructive if you're using it as a punishment, but some people eat to release steam if they're really angry, right? We like to generally eat really like chewy or crunchy things, right? Or hard things to release stress or we just kind of shove stuff in our mouth to release that stress, to release that steam. So what can you do instead? Yell into a pillow. I've done this one too many times the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> punching a pillow. You can, again, do breathing exercises. Dance. Get it out. Shake it out. Quite literally. Use the somatic therapy to squeeze it, punch it, move, you know, do the jitterbug. I, I don't know. You can throw a ball. If you have a dog, this is great. Throw a football with a friend. Journaling. Um, again, kind of aggressively, that sounds really weird, but it, it helps. Uh, again, calling a friend or a loved one to vent stuff out, right? Just your body is looking to release, to let go. And so how can you release and let go without having to use food? So now you know all the types of emotional eating and all of the, or a small amount of the emotions that can trigger emotional eating because our emotional spectrum is very, very wide, it's broad, it's big, right? So how do you actually start dealing with emotional eating? How do you take everything that you just learned, right, and and start to, to use this to emotionally eat a little bit less? Number one, the first step, is to make sure that you are not hungry, This sounds very funny, but a lot of the times when I've worked with clients and they thought they were emotional eating, when we do a food journal or we kind of assess how much they eat during the day, they're actually hungry. (laughs) And if you combine hunger, hunger alone, right, results in you needing to eat food. But if you combine hunger and emotional eating together, it's so hard to address emotional eating if your body is hungry. So you need to make sure that you're honoring your hunger first. You're eating adequate amount of food and adequate amount of balanced food so that you're satiated and satisfied. Number two would be to identify what you're feeling. And this can be just simply asking yourself, what am I feeling right now? If that's not something you generally ask yourself, you might come up with, oh, no, right? This could be when it would be really helpful to keep a food journal or look at a emotional 
diagram, an emotion diagram or an emotion emotion pie chart and kind of see all the feelings that are listed out and see if you can identify a couple. Or, you know, another way to look at this is what do I feel like triggered this feeling, right? If you're sitting in front of your desk or if you're sitting, you know, maybe you can identify a certain task and then identify a feeling like this happened. Oh, I feel this way about it as opposed to just saying, how do I feel? That could be a helpful workaround. The third one is to identify what you need. What would be most helpful right now? right? Because if we really think about it, I am trying to procrastinate. I don't want to do this task. What do I need right now? What do I feel like would be most helpful, right? If you really think about it, going to the kitchen to get food could be a little helpful in the sense that it will distract you or help you procrastinate. But if you think about what happens after that, well, then I don't feel really good about myself, then I'm feeling worse, then I come back to the computer and have the same task in front of me that I still don't know what to do with, right? So what would be most helpful right now? In that in that instance, maybe it's delegating, maybe it's asking a coworker for help, maybe it is taking a little bit more time away to think about the problem as you're going for a walk and maybe go through the steps, maybe it's time blocking, whatever that might be. What would be most helpful right now? And the number four would be to identify what coping tool you can use to help. So as you do this, as you start to build your list, as you start to go through these three, four questions, you start to build a list of things that would be helpful. And you start to identify what helps you in certain moments. And you start to kind of introduce that pause between feeling and kitchen or feeling and eating, right? And all of this takes time. I'm not saying you're going to do this the first time and it's going to be really easy, piece of cake, never have to worry about it anymore, right? All of this takes time because there's always going to be new triggers. There's always going to be new situations. But the more you get into the habit of doing this or just bringing more awareness or observance into this practice, the easier it truly gets. And lucky for you, I actually create a course to help walk you through this. So if this is something that you feel like you struggle with a lot and you are wanting to feel more comfortable around food overall, you're wanting to feel a little more confident in your ability to make those decisions for yourself, become a little bit more resilient in stressful situations, and just kind of like feel that you finally know how to how to really kind of give yourself what you need in the moment, right? That's the beauty of learning how to tune in and trust your body and get to know yourself better as you start to know how to get through moments like this because you understand what's going on and you understand your body and its signals and your cues because you've become more aware and more observant. If that's something that you want – I will leave in the show notes a link to my emotional eating course, my emotional overeating course, and it will help you do all of this. I took this curriculum from directly from my course, so you have a little intro, little um, sneak peek into what that course does, but it really breaks it down for you in four simple steps and we go through all the emotions we go through where this all came from where your emotions your triggers are stemming from what to do when you hit them I give you meditations I give you everything that you need to start 
getting over emotional eating and being able to do other things to help cope. And because emotions are to blame for overeating about 75% of the time, it'll help you overeat less. So I hope you did, you enjoyed today's episode. I will see you next week or I will speak to you next week rather. Have an amazing week, an amazing weekend. And until next time, my friends. If you enjoyed this episode or if any part of it resonated with you, it would mean the world if you shared what you learned or something that you loved and tagged me on Instagram at Azul Corajoria. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen in and be sure to come back next week. Thank you for your support, my loves. I will see you soon.